All right, good morning, everyone. We are going to be in Luke 10. So if you don't have a Bible, there's some of these tables here for you. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be starting in verse 25. While you're getting there, just a quick recap of what we we're skipping over, okay? Because as you know, if you've been with us, we're just looking at one story from each chapter in Luke as we go through it. Um, hopefully what that's doing as we're kind of fast-forwarding through these other stories is it's letting you see this is a really, really good story worth knowing. And so hopefully what it's doing is it's drawing you into that story on your own time uh, or within your missional communities or your DNA groups that you're getting into that and digging into Luke. But little recap. So the last time we got together is two weeks ago because of Sacred Space last week. We ended in chapter 9 talking about how Jesus calls us to come and follow him. And that coming and following him is not just simply saying a prayer uh, and accepting here in our heads that he is who he says he is. But it's actually, it requires a cost and a bit of a sacrifice. And from there, he starts to say, you know, there's chapter 10, he starts to say, you know, there's a lot of work out there to be done. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so what he does is he looks around and he, he goes, but some of you here with me following me. And there's crowds following Jesus. But he recognizes there's only a few of you willing to actually follow me. And so he sends out at that point in the beginning of chapter 10, 70 of his followers to go out and to heal people in his power and to speak good news to them, to tell them good news. There is a king who has come and who loves and cares for all of his creation and who is going to bring a restoration and a healing. And so Jesus sends them out with this and he says, you know, some aren't gonna listen to you. And, and he actually starts crying out warnings to those cities that aren't gonna listen. But then he starts rejoicing and praising the Father that some are listening and that some are being healed and that there were 70 who could go out and do this. And I just, I, I think about that and like just how beautiful and amazing that is that Jesus is rejoicing over like a handful, a small group of people that are willing to follow him. And just sitting here and reflecting on last week, sacred space, two different parts of the city. Uh, and we had to do that logistically because we all live kind of spread out and we're driving in together. And so, but we said, how can we be, how can we have a faithful presence as the church, as God's people in the midst of where we live, right? And something that Wade didn't mention, uh, the city of Peoria, some of the officials there that we're in contact with, actually told, told Wade that, you know, Missio is the only church that would do this. Like, they already called and said, there's another house that we need some help with. Uh, you guys are the only church we can rely on. And what's crazy about that, Wade and I talked about this. This is not tooting our own horn. We talked about this. Like, no, we know of other churches in the valley that are doing good work and that would jump on that if they were asked. But the intentionality, the reason I share this, the intentionality of us just asking that question, how do we be a faithful presence? This small group of 40 adults spoke a message to the city of Peoria, like the official city of Peoria, of good news, of restoration. And I, I want us to see that Jesus sends out 70 people and lives start being changed and transformed. And people start following Jesus we're a small church, you guys. There's 40 adults. There's almost 70 kids. So we'll, we'll be matching Jesus' numbers soon. <laughs> but we're a small church, but being faithful, following Jesus, even, even when it does cost us, 
making that sacrifice, going out of our way to move to the brokenness in the city around us and the communities around us, doing that, we can't do that in our own strength and our own power. We can only do that in the power of the spirit. And so I want us to see that that is a big call, but it's also simple, right? Like last week, that didn't, we, we just took what normally would have been a gathering here at 10 a.m. And we did it somewhere else. And you're all still here, like you're all alive. No one broke any bones doing it. It wasn't back-breaking labor. It was a small gesture, right? And so it's simple things like that, but with some intentionality and in the power of the spirit that brings a love of Christ with us. That can do a whole lot in this city. 40 adults and 50-some-odd kids can be a faithful presence in the city. And so uh, what our goal is and what our hope is, I just want to share right now, is like, as Missio, as a small congregation here in Peoria, is that we're seeing that happen, being a faithful presence in each of the communities that we live in, through our missional communities throughout the week. And as that starts taking place, people are hearing the good news of Jesus, seeing that there is an answer to the brokenness of this world, and that those missional communities start growing and multiplying out that we can then start seeing a faithful presence throughout the whole West Valley. We can send one another out as Jesus sends out his disciples. And we could see more smaller congregations of Missio Dei planted throughout the valley, or of another name, it doesn't have to be Missio Dei, but smaller congregations planted throughout, scattered throughout the valley of a faithful witness of people saying, we have good news to share. And so that's what Jesus is starting here. And he's still doing the work. It's his work still that he's inviting us into just like he invited these 70 followers into. So that's the beginning of chapter 10. And we're gonna start moving now into uh, verse 25. Because what happens then is Jesus is rejoicing that this is happening and there's almost like an interruption that Luke puts in there. Like there's, a, there's an interruption from this rejoicing where a guy who knows the law of God really, really well really has studied the law of Moses, comes and he comes to test Jesus. And so he asks him a question. This is a story that many of us are very, very familiar with. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you might be familiar with the name of this story. And I just wanna, I wanna encourage us to actually listen to it. Listen to it with some fresh ears today, okay? So I'm gonna read from Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. If you're able to stand with me out of respect for God's word, and then I'll pray, and we'll take a look at what this means. Verse 25, Luke writes this, and behold, a lawyer, which just meant an expert in the law, not like the lawyers we see on our commercials today about suing people for your car accident. And behold, an expert in the law stood up to put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you have to spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He answered, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Father, we pray that your word this morning, this story Jesus tells, would transform us by the power of your spirit, that we too would go and do likewise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. You can be seated. So I said this was a familiar story probably to most of us. Did it, did it sound familiar? The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Uh, I'm curious if, if this is something else maybe you guys are familiar with. There's, a, there's an internet phenomenon. Uh, it's kind of like a, what's the word for it? It's kind of like a, a conspiracy theory in a way. Or, uh, but it's this, this, this theme going on, on the internet that there's this uh, thing called the Mandela Effect. Have you guys heard of that before? Okay, so the Mandela effect is this theory that is named after Nelson Mandela. And the reason why is because when Nelson Mandela died, there were thousands of people who said, wait a second, I thought he had already died when he was in prison years and years and years ago. And this, there seemed to be this collective memory of this happening. People going, yeah, no, no, I clearly remember where I was when I heard that news, right? And so everyone's going, hold on are we in like an alternate time stream now? Like what just happened? Thanos snapped his finger and like things have changed. Sorry, I'm a nerd. Okay, so we're, uh, we're like, what's going on? Like we don't remember it that way. And then people started uncovering all these other things they don't remember that way. Don't worry, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. So there's a point to this, okay? Uh, I'm curious if you've played Monopoly before. Anyone played Monopoly? How do you remember the Monopoly man? I got a picture of him up here. Do you remember him... With a monocle or without? All right, how many of you think with a monocle? Raise your hand. All right, how many without? It's about 50-50, okay. Uh, here's, here's the striking news. The Monopoly man has never worn a monocle. <gasps> At least not in this time stream, right? <laughs> Um, now, a lot of people think, okay, what, what probably happened is, like, you're confusing him with another mascot who has a top hat and, uh, and seems kind of uppity, too, and he does wear a monocle. The difference is he's a giant mutant peanut, right, the peanut guy. Um, I actually remember him having a monocle because I watched Ace Ventura when I was a kid. I don't recommend it. It's not that good. Uh, but he, he's making fun of a guy wearing a monocle, and he calls him the Monopoly Man. So I was like, oh, yeah, that... That makes sense. So somehow that seeped into my memory of the Monopoly man wearing a monocle, but he never did. And there's a whole lot of other things you could like, if you dig into the rabbit hole of the internet and searching the Mandela effect, you will find all these other things like the way Bernstein Bears books were spelled, 
Like people swear that it's been changed, but like, no, you probably just remember it wrong, right? Um, the, the Romeo and Juliet balcony scene, there's never a balcony in the original Shakespeare play. So where did that come from, right? Uh, King Henry VIII, this famous like image of him holding a turkey leg. No, that was just the Simpsons when Homer was dressed up like him, you know? Uh, and so what's happened is there's, there's this collective memory that's being built off of something that never actually happened. Uh, and usually it starts from like just kind of mixing up, someone mixing up a memory of something with something else or someone else retold it differently and now it's been translated. And so like all these people now have this collective memory of something that's not actually true. And the reason I bring all this up is we do this often with scripture, don't we? And I think the, the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we probably have all these ideas of what the Good Samaritan is. And in fact, like I said, even if you haven't grown up in the church, you probably have an idea of the Good Samaritan. Uh, there's, I, I was born and my two oldest sons were born at Good Samaritan Hospital down in Phoenix. I think they changed the name now. Uh, there's uh, tons of ministries named after it, Samaritan Ministries. And like people will tell you now, like you wanna be like the Good Samaritan. And here's what's interesting is in this story, in this time, when Jesus is sharing this story for the first time with this expert in the law and all these Jewish people around him, nobody hearing this story wanted to be like the Samaritan. Even after him telling the story. Ah, just skipping ahead, when Jesus ends with, which of these three was a good neighbor, the man can't even say the word Samaritan. He, he won't even give him he won't give him the satisfaction of saying the word Samaritan with the answer of who was right. He says, the one who showed mercy. It's almost like begrudgingly, right? I guess it was the one who showed mercy. What I want us to see in this is that the Samaritan in this story, who Jesus is saying, go and do likewise, be like the Samaritan, is the person that none of these people wanted to have anything to do with. And so as we continue through this story, I want you to right now just picture in your head the last person you want to be associated with. Picture in your head the last person that you want to be seen hanging out with or you want to have at your dinner table. Or... Don't worry, you don't have to share this out loud, but just be honest with yourself. Like, who is the last type of person? The last people group that you would want to be living among. And I want you to get that person in your head, and I want you to hear this story from Jesus. So this guy comes, and he's an expert in the law. And he asks the question, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And he's not asking this question out of sincerity because he wants to know because eternal life is a good thing. I want to have it. He's asking because he thinks he already knows the answer. And he's testing Jesus. Right? He's trying to catch Jesus on something. The religious people throughout the story of the Bible are notorious for this. They're always trying to catch Jesus off guard, trying to get him to slip up so that they can debunk him and hold power for themselves. Right? And so that's what this man's doing. And Jesus knows. Jesus can discern what's going on in his heart and his mind. And so Jesus says this. He goes, hey, you're an expert in the law. You tell me. You're supposed to know this, right? What do you read that it says? 
And the man's answer come from two different parts of the law. So first he says, in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now this is something that the Jewish people would recite. This was like rule number one, okay? If, if, if you want to do anything right, to be right with God, this is it. And then what he does, this guy I think really was an expert in the law, because then what he does is he takes that from Deuteronomy 6, and then he also takes something from Leviticus 19, and he puts them together as one. So Leviticus 19 is where it says to love your neighbor as yourself. He, he combines these two. And it's interesting because Jesus not only commends him for it, Jesus does the same thing later. Later, he's asked by someone, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers the same way. Like, on paper, this dude has got it down. He's right. That was the best answer he could have given. So Jesus is like, yeah, good answer. Do that and you'll live. That's it. And it's interesting. It's interesting, he's saying, if you just do that, you will live. How many of us have grown up around or maybe heard from other people claiming to follow Jesus a whole lot of other things we're supposed to do too to have eternal life? Stuffed on top of that, right? And Jesus just says this, love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. He gives us a formula for it, actually. I think I have a slide for that. He gives us a formula. If you want eternal life, this is it. I have a guy who has started to, um, if, you, if you don't know, I roast coffee is my other job. I do that one day a week. I have a guy who has started to supply us with coffee from Haiti. And so they've gone to Haiti to, uh, in Haiti, where that economy is just completely um, demolished. And where they used to grow coffee, they have started growing drugs and things like that because it's more lucrative. It's the only way they can survive. Uh, this organization has gone in and they're trying to help restore that and go like, no, no, let's turn these back into coffee farms. We will find buyers for you to pay you a fair price. And so we started buying some coffee from this guy. And so this guy, uh, Justin, has become a friend of mine and he was in our shop this last week, we were having a conversation, and we started talking about Jesus. And I, I love when those conversations turn that way. I've had a relationship with this guy for several, several months now, uh, and this is the first time we got, we got there. Sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes it happens in your first conversation. Just, you know, I want to encourage you in that. Like, be patient, be praying for people, and continue to speak and share good news. And so he, he knew I was a pastor long ago. He knows I love Jesus long ago. It was the first time we had a good conversation about it. And in that conversation, we were talking about, we were talking about what being a Christian really means. And he said, you know, it's interesting to me, like everyone is constantly thinking about heaven, the afterlife, and what you gotta do to get there. 
He goes, but I only ever hear Jesus talking about how to live right now here on this earth. Did you ever think about that? He's right. He's right. Most of the time, Jesus' words are about how do you live your life right here and now in the midst of the people around you. That's what Jesus is concerned with. And he goes, you, you want to know about eternal life? Let me tell you how you live right now in your everyday. You love God with everything you've got. So whether you're at work, whether you're in your home with your family, whether you're out buying groceries, whatever it is you're doing, your mind, your heart, your soul, all your strength and energy is devoted to God because he's the one who has given it to you. And here's another, another thing to go along with that. It's connected. You can't separate them. If you love this God who has created you, then you also love everyone made in his image just like you are. You recognize you're made in the image of this God who you love with all your heart. And so are all these other people. So love them just like they're yourself. Love them just like they're made in the image of the same God you're made in. That's what he's saying. Your interactions with people daily. This is how you get eternal life. That's the formula right there. Sounds simple, right? Sounds simple. It's simple but not easy. And that's kind of what uh, this man starts to realize. He knew the answer. He said it. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's it. Go do it. You got the answer. Go do it now. But there's something still not sitting quite right with this guy. What does he say next? Who is my neighbor, right? Okay, Jesus, love God, love my neighbor. That's nice, but let's, let's get some clarity on this, okay? Can we just clarify something like, who is my neighbor that I have to love? Can we draw a boundary around this so I can know who's in, who I have to love, and then who are the people that I can, like, either ignore and be indifferent to or maybe even hate? You know, the people that, that like, aren't quite like us, Jesus. Can you tell me who those people are so I can, I can be justified, I can be free of that guilt? Has anyone ever felt that before? You've probably never said it. <laughs> You've probably never cognitively thought it. But if we can be honest with ourselves, like, isn't there times where we're trying to justify inwardly? Yeah, I don't have to go out of my way for this person because I'm spending my time loving my family right now. My kids. My spouse. I don't have to go out of my way for those people because they don't want it anyway, right? Like, you know what? Like, they aren't even trying for themselves, and so why would I go out of my way to help them? They don't deserve it. Like, they, no, they, they know what they're doing, and they purposely turned away from God, and so why would I go after that? I don't need to go out of my way for that. And Jesus answers his question, who's my neighbor, with a story. Remember, we talked about Jesus loves doing this. Uh, I've started putting it in practice this week just for fun, People will ask me a question, like, how was your week? And I go, you know, I have this table. And I just try to come up with all these analogies. I'm not nearly as good as Jesus is. But 
Jesus does this and he's masterful at it. And what he does is he tells a story to draw this man into the story. And he wants to draw this man into the story to start thinking through like putting himself in the position of the story. And as we do that, I want you to keep in your head what we said earlier, that person that you would never have at your dinner table, that you don't want to be associated with. But also, as we reread this story from Jesus, who do you identify with? Which person are you in this story? So Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem to Jericho, this is a dangerous trip. As you made this trip, this path was actually called the way of blood because this would happen a lot. This story Jesus tells of bandits coming and stripping you and beating you and taking everything you have. And so this was a a story that was contextual for them. They, They knew it. Going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that's a dangerous trek. And he fell among robbers, as is pretty, pretty much happens there, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So who are you so far in the story? Are you the robbers? Are you the man who's innocent and just got beaten up? Okay. There's more people in the story, though. Don't worry. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Have you ever been walking down the road and there's someone on the side of the street there and you purposely start heading over across the street? Or, like, you're walking by, you see someone you don't really want to make eye contact with, and so you start looking on your phone like you're, or like, oh, I just got a call, right? Have you ever been at a grocery store, you see someone you haven't seen in years, and you really don't want to see them and, like, catch up. So you're like, uh, looking at this lettuce. I don't see you. You know, like, this priest is going down the road. He sees this man, and he purposely crosses to the other side. Next to Levite, this is a man who worked in the temple. This is a man who uh, was also known to be very religious. This is a man who's been called apart to serve people by God is going down this pathway and he sees this man on the side of the road, half dead in need. And he crosses to the other side. Now if you're you're hearing the story and you're trying to think, who am I identifying myself with? Let me ease your conscience a little bit. The here is at this time that Jesus is telling this story, in their position they might be thinking, I know that road, I know that path, I know it's dangerous. Of course they're going to cross the other side. If they stop to help this man, think about what could happen to them. Right? That's a reality. Martin Luther King actually said of this story, he said, the priest and the Levite their first question when they saw this man was, what's going to happen to me if I stop to help them? And then he says the Samaritan's question when he saw the man was, what's going to happen to this man if I don't stop to help him? So now you have a Samaritan enters the scene. The Samaritan is usually who we all think we are in the story, Right? But remember, all, all Jesus' is here is that they don't want to be associated with Samaritans. Samaritans were known as half-breed Jews. So long ago, Samaritans were actually part of the Jewish nation, part of the northern kingdom. And what happened was Assyria came in and raided, and there was war, and they were split up. 
And so Samaritans came from the Jews who had to flee from the northern kingdom, who were taken captive by the Assyrians and started families with the Assyrians. And so they became another race, another nation of Samaria. And it's interesting because if you would have talked to a Samaritan at the time, like they still were trying to worship the God of Israel. Many of them also had these other gods too of Assyria mixed in with that. But if you were to ask them where they came from, they would say, we come from the tribe of Ephraim or Manasseh who were Joseph's sons. You know, the prince of Egypt. We come from Joseph. We are part of Israel. But if you ask a Jew, they'd say, no, they're not. They have nothing to do with us and we got nothing to do with them. They're seen as dirty. They're seen as not quite good enough. You're not part of God's people anymore. This is who enters the story. And this person comes by and sees this man half beaten on the side of the road. And what does Jesus say? He says, a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. This is the first thing is, first, this man sees. He sees the man. All three of the people in the story saw this man in need. Seeing is not enough, but then the man has compassion on him. He has compassion and then he takes action. He, he goes to him, he binds up his wounds, he helps him out right there in the spot, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sets him on his own animal. That would be like, man, you, you need a ride, get into my car. Get in my car, in the back seat, next to the car seat I have. I'm gonna give you a ride. This is a cost here to this man. Takes him on his own animal, brings him to an inn to take care of him. You see someone on the side of the road and they are stripped naked, beaten half to death, and you, you help them, you clean them up, you put them in your car, you take them down the road to a hotel. And you get there and you go, I, I wanna pay for a room for this person. I, I'm gonna give them some clothes. And then, this is what he says. He goes, the next day he took out two denarii. Denarii was like a day's wages. This is a good chunk of money. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you have to spend, I will repay you when I come back. So you drop this person off at the hotel, you stay, you make sure they're good through the night and then you leave your credit card with the hotel manager and you go, whatever this person needs, charge it to my card, it's on me. This is pretty outrageous, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but I've never done this for anybody. I've never done this for people I like. <laughs> right? This is like going way out of your way. This is like not showing up to a sacred space event because it's already the 10 o'clock time you carved out for Sunday morning anyway to show up and help a school or a Polynesian village. Those are good things. Jesus is telling us a story that goes way far beyond that. Way far beyond that. And he says, who do you think was a neighbor to this man? The guy can't deny it, but he also can't say Samaritan. He still has this hate, this, this racism, this prejudice, this 
bitterness, this anger inside of him. So he goes, the man who showed mercy. And then Jesus says the same thing he already said to him. You answered, love God, love your neighbor. Go and do it. But now the implications are much greater, aren't they? Now that you've seen what that love looks like, and now that you've seen that that has no boundaries around who your neighbor is, that you can't define who's in and who's out, now go do it. And make no mistake, this is not just one of those outrageous stories Jesus tells to show us that we can't do it. He literally says to the man, now go and do it. Go and do it. I want you to be like that. Now, who have you identified yourself with in this story? Anyone the Samaritan? The victim? The robbers? The priest? The Levite? Anybody? No? Yeah. The lawyer? I was waiting for that one. I heard you whisper Jesus earlier too, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk later, okay? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What I think Jesus is doing, what I think Jesus is doing in trying to put us in this story, what I think Luke is doing in rewriting this account, trying to put us in this story, is showing us that Jesus is the Samaritan. Jesus is the one who's been rejected by his own people. Jesus is the one who sees, the God who sees and hears our need and doesn't turn away or cross over to the other side of the road, but actually comes down and enters into the brokenness of this world. Jesus is the one who has compassion as he sees. Jesus is the one who moves toward the hurt and the broken, and that's you and I and everyone else we come in contact with. Jesus is the one who pays whatever cost is required in order to restore and to heal us. He's the one who says, take this, and if you need more, take that too. We're seeing this story take place actually as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem himself, on the way to his own death, knowing full well. We read that last two weeks ago in chapter 9. He starts heading toward Jerusalem because he says he knows he needs to go be rejected by the elders, by the religious leaders there, so that he could die in our place. He's making this path, the path of blood for us. And he's paying every cost of his own life, of his own self, of his own relationship with the Father to bring us back, to heal us. Jesus is the true and better good Samaritan. But you know who you and I are? There's someone that's often overlooked in this story. We're the innkeeper. Jesus has brought in the sick to us. And he has said, I have now given you everything you need that is mine to care for this person. I have given you my Holy Spirit. 
all the power that I've done every miracle and healing through, all the power that brought me into this world, all the power that helped me to resist temptation and sin in the desert by the devil, all the power that brought me back to life out of the grave, I have given to you. I have given you all of my resources. I have given you everything. I want you to care for the hurt and the broken and the poor. I want you to care for those who cannot care for themselves. I want you to care for those who are in desperate need. I want you to see the ones that aren't seen. I want you to move in compassion toward them. And he goes, if you need anything else, I got you. It's on me. I will cover it. Whatever you need for the journey, whatever you need, whatever expense it costs you to care for this one, I will cover it for you. Now you, go and do likewise. And when we see ourselves as the innkeeper and not the Samaritan, doesn't that just take a lot of pressure off? I mean, like, we're not the ones who have to go and try to make something happen at all of our own expense, but the expense has already been paid by Jesus. And all we got to do is use the resources he's given us and be faithful with that. And this is how the story ends. He says, take care of him in verse 35. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The Samaritan's coming back and he's going to know if that innkeeper used those resources that he gave him for good or for his own selfish gain. He's coming back and he's going to know how you cared for this man. I'm going to come back and I'm going to see. And if you need anything more, I got you. But if you spent that on something else, Jesus is coming back, you guys. He's coming back. And there will be an account for how we spent the resources he's given us. Namely, the power of his spirit to love and to serve and to speak good news, to go out and do what he called his 70 to do right before this story, to go out and bring healing and good news. The kingdom is here. The king is good. He's coming back, and he owns everything, and he's sharing it with you, whatever it costs. I got you covered. This is the king we serve. How will we be found when he comes back? Because right now he's saying, I want you to go and do likewise. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for a community of people, of brothers and sisters that we can come and, and read your word with and hear it. We thank you that your spirit opens up our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive it. We pray, God, that we would be transformed by it, empowered by you, knowing that you have paid all the costs necessary, that you have given us everything we need to go and do likewise. And yet, Father, we recognize as we sit here, as we hear these words, I recognize myself as I speak these words that I fall so short of it, that I have spent your resources selfishly or I have not spent them at all. 
We thank you, God, that you are merciful even to us and even now. But we hear the call to go and do likewise. May your spirit empower us to be your good news people who bring healing into the world. May your spirit empower us to come to you for that healing when we need it for our own selves. May your spirit empower us to hear the good news of this story and to turn our hearts and our love toward you and away from the other things of this world that we have loved. May we be a community of your people known for this good news and known for healing throughout the West Valley. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.